When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited to be back and uh, uh, on vacation last week. Hope a lot of you took an opportunity maybe to go to the, the various sources where you can find archive Bible studies. We have been doing this Bible study uh, for about eight years now. And uh, so if you uh, we started archiving and, uh, and putting it here live on, uh, on YouTube channel and archiving so you can get it probably, what, the second or third year we were doing it? So uh, there's about five uh, to five and a half years worth of archives that you can go back and uh, we walk through books of the Bible. Uh, we, we at times will take uh, books that people have written on certain topics, and we walk through those. And you can find all those uh, either here on the YouTube channel. If you're watching live, you can just go search uh, different topics that we've covered. Or if you want to go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on Listen, uh, you can go through in, uh, through those archives. And now, since we have introduced uh, our latest resource, uh, that is an app called Strive, S-T-R-I-B-E, the Strive app. You can try that for seven days for free. It's an app, and it has resources that includes some of the archives here. And it, it is much easier to search than go into BurgessMinistries.com, uh, and you can find things a little quicker. But it's not just Bible studies that we've done here uh, with me teaching, but also we have Bible studies that others have taught. We have uh, sermons that other people that we uh, believe in and, and, and use as teachers have done. And you can get all that uh, by just going to wherever you pick up apps. It could be Google. It could be, be Apple. Uh, and it's called Strive. Try it seven days for free. You get daily devotions that are updated every day, every week, uh, and access to articles and all sorts of information. And we keep adding to the resources. So add that to your arsenal. It, it, it's a good one uh, wherever you pick up apps. You can also find it at themanchurch.com. Speaking of themanchurch.com, our, our discipleship strategy is um, going out again here in the month of July. Uh, we are sending uh, men out to Friendship Church in Athens, Alabama. It's about to start the men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com. And what is that strategy? Well, it features high challenge and high equipping. When we talk about a man church, that means men are gathering for high challenge in a service. And then we're talking about high equipping. That's men plugging into the small groups uh, in one of the curriculum uh, that we provide. We have three of those, uh, and you can find those at themanchurch.com as well. So they're going in the services, out of the services, into the small groups, out of the small groups, into the services, and it's uh, it never stops. It's a cycle of reaching and discipling men, and you can enter through a small group or through a service. So here are some services that are going on. The beautiful thing about Friendship Church in Athens, Alabama, this is a kickoff, so you can come in right from the beginning. Uh, July the 10th, Helmsy from uh, Team Rick and Bubba and Team Man Church will be there. He'll bring the message. Now on the 14th, uh, of uh, of July, we're going to be in a lot of places. Uh, I'll be at Northside Baptist Church, Jasper, Alabama. They're going through the men's discipleship strategy. That's on the 14th. Also on the 14th, Andrew Varvudis will be in Neshoba uh, Baptist Center in Philadelphia, Mississippi. This entire association has already done one year of the discipleship strategy. The association is bringing in all the churches from their association. Andrew will do a high-challenge message for those churches, and then more of them will now plug into year two of our discipleship strategy, meaning they'll pick up another curriculum. Also on July the 14th, uh, First Baptist Church, Columbus, Mississippi, 96-1 is our station there. Uh, Helmsy will be talking to them. They're in year two of the men's discipleship strategy. July the 24th, Kevin Derryberry will be at Crossroads Church in Warrior, Alabama. They are in year two of the discipleship strategy. And I miss one on July the 11th, Todd Jones will be speaking at Christ Harbor United Methodist Church in Northport, Alabama. They are also in their first year of the men's discipleship strategy. You can find all these by simply going to themanchurch.com and clicking on events and find out where it's going on near you. Let's uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. We're continuing our walk through the book of Genesis. Uh, today we'll be in Genesis chapter 25. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. 
Thank you for the opportunity that you've afforded us to open up your holy word. Uh, and today we, we, we look at a couple things that, uh, that we need to learn. Uh, number one, we need to ask ourselves a, a tough question, how are we going to die uh, as we talk about the earthly death of Abraham? Then we're going to look at uh, moving ahead on training our, our children, uh, things that we need to be looking at uh, when setting up a family, things we need to try to avoid as parents. Uh, there's so much to learn from you, Lord, uh, and, and may we learn it uh, from your wisdom, not having to go through it and make mistakes. Uh, may we look at these historic biblical events and, and say, let me apply that to my life now so I don't have to learn the hard way. Uh, in your holy name we pray, amen. So you know that in Genesis 25, uh, we, we're now getting toward the, we're getting to the end of Abraham's life, uh, and you're going to see a transition now as the narrative is leaving. Moses is going to leave Abraham, and he's going to move into to Isaac uh, as the new narrative, and, and then we're going to work our way through the rest of Genesis. So in, in the beginning, we, we, we're talking about Abraham. Sarah has already died. We talked about that. So Abraham has taken another wife, which he's, he's allowed to do. Uh, his wife has died. Uh, her name was Keturah. You see that in verse 1. Uh, he'd lived 35 more years after Isaac's marriage uh, to Rebekah. Uh, and uh, we're not going to see Moses anymore telling us about Abraham having conversations with God, any more miraculous things going on with Abraham. What you're seeing is God is getting Abraham ready for the end of his earthly life and moving on to his reward in the presence of the God that he served uh, and uh, who, who was using him and fulfilling his covenant to Abraham. Uh, so we're, we're, we're going to see this is clearly shifting uh, to Isaac. So uh, we do see that Abraham had additional children by his new wife. Look at verse 2. She bore him, and then it goes through a, a list of, of sons here, uh, some of them you know, difficult to, uh, to pronounce, some not as difficult. Zimron, uh, we've got Jokshan, Madan, uh, Median, uh, Ishbak, uh, and Shua. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about that the sons who they fathered, and, and you see him moving through in verse 3, uh, this continued um, you know, fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that he would have many offspring, many children, as the stars number the sky and as grains of sand are on the beach. Now, when you look at this new wife, Keturah, most people believe, looking at the biblical history, that likely she was someone who was already in his life, as, as maybe they, the many in the commentaries think that it's possible, Matthew Henry did, for sure that she was like one of the, the head of the maidservants that served Abraham and Sarah. So she had already been helping with the family. Uh, Abraham is, is going to need someone to kind of care for him now that she steps up in that role. Abraham marries her and produces more sons for him. Uh, and, and, uh, and then you see that, um, uh, that it's clear, though, in, in verse 4, as he's doing more sons of of Abraham and Keturah, and then their grandsons, um, but that all these children uh, are, are from the line of the new wife. But if you look in, in verse 5, this is the crucial thing you have to understand, though. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. So what Moses wants us to know, look, there's a lot of children. Abraham's got a lot of kids. The father Abraham, you know, and we all sang that song as kids. This is the fulfillment of the covenant. But when we're talking about the messianic covenant, they're not in on that. This is still going to be Isaac. Isaac is set apart. Uh, he, he is the child of, of the promise. And, uh, and so everything that Abraham has is going to go to Isaac. But you're going to see that his other children do receive gifts from him. Uh, but, uh, but Isaac is the heir of the promise. Uh, he now will be head of the estate um, and... Um, and and you also see that uh, that we're seeing again that that what uh, what God has deemed for Abraham even in his final days that it's not good that Abraham be alone. So he has given him another wife. He's given him more children, uh, and um, and 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 of course there are going to be you know things that you're going to see happen now uh, that Isaac still is set apart from everybody else. Uh, he does give parts 
to all of his sons, including Ishmael, as we see here. Look at verse 6. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, why, why is this? Again, he wants there to be clear separation. Remember, he sent, he sent Ishmael away. Uh, with Hagar, which he was told to do, so there wouldn't be any confusion, there wouldn't be any bickering over this this child of the promise, which which was Isaac. That's what God had promised. Now, when you see things in here like concubines and all that, you know, you start thinking, what 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 in the world is going on? But you you have to understand, and and we do not want to use the word because it opens up a door that comes from Satan. When you're looking at how things move forward through biblical history, never say that God is evolving. He's not evolving. God never changes. God is revealing himself more as we go. He's not evolving. He's delving out to us who he is fully. Now, you have to understand, when we're reading about these men and women of of biblical history, the beauty of us in the church age is we have the fulfillment of it all. See, they're looking ahead to this coming Messiah. We're on the other side of the resurrection saying, we know what's already happened. We have the full fulfillment of everything that God wants to do other than the second coming uh, in the new heaven and in the new earth. They don't. So really, they're looking more dimly as we're looking more clearly because we see how it all worked together. They're looking, watching it, as God reveals himself. So what you will see is you'll see as God continues to reveal himself, he's going to take things like, you know, as you see in Deuteronomy, no more do you marry, you know, your 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 family members. I'm taking that away. Hey, we don't even have the Ten Commandments yet. Okay, so, so and then, then the Ten Commandments comes in and it says, I want to clear up, you know, how we need to live. Look, if, if, if the Ten Commandments would simply be applied to anything, we wouldn't have the problems that we have. But Abraham hasn't heard the Ten Commandments yet. So, so God is, is still revealing himself. Don't ever say God evolved, because he, he hasn't evolved. He's revealing himself as he goes forward. So, yes, he does have children in, in order to fulfill, again, that he is populating the earth through concubines, and he gave them gifts, and, uh, and he sent them away. Uh, and as a matter of fact, these that that came uh, that were sent eastward, uh, they they went on to be known as the children of the east, uh, and they actually are a reference throughout biblical history. They became very prominent. Most most of his sons did. You'll see Ishmael's lineage. These were very prominent people, but they weren't the children of the promise. Okay, that that's important, uh, and he wants them away from from Isaac. Now, looking um, at, at uh, verse 7, you're going to see that we now get to the point of, uh, of Abraham uh, and, and actually how long that he lived. Now, look, it says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life. So we know. How long did Abraham live? The Bible tells us. 175 years. Uh, it says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. And, guys, if you have your Bibles here in the room or you have your Bibles uh, watching are listening to us, I would underline died in a good old age and then underline the rest of it, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Uh, th- this, this is important, okay? So you see that Abraham, by the way he's treating all of his offspring, he is doing as an example to us, okay, that's why it's here in Scripture, Get your house in order. Abraham knows he's about to die, and Abraham is leaving nothing to chance. I'm giving this to Isaac. Isaac's in charge of the estate. Isaac has this. Other sons, you have this, this, this. You go here. You go there. He is setting his house in order. There's nothing that causes more chaos than for a man to die and not have his house in order. Okay, it's crucial that we have our house in order. Isaac is the heir. That's clear. Sarah is the first and principled wife. That's clear. Uh, Isaac is the heir of the promise. Now he's in in charge of the estate. Um, He does give, like I say, parts to some of his sons, including Ishmael. But 
it is wise that he says, but you all will be distanced from Isaac. Now, there's also symbolism here. Okay, there's a lot of symbolism that is foreshadowing. What does Isaac represent? The redeemed. Because he is going to bring Messiah, his lineage. So God is also making sure that we see right here. Remember what Sherry, my wife, for those of you that are new to this, I keep telling her, I said, what you told me from God has been confirmed over and over again in this study we're doing. I didn't want to do Genesis, okay? And I was sitting down talking to Sherry about it, and she goes, you got to do Genesis. I'm telling you, if you want to fully understand the Scriptures, you got to know Genesis. You can't understand the end if you don't understand the beginning. And so, and she, this, do y'all agree, has that not been confirmed over and over again? So in this case, what we're seeing is what? The redeemed are separated from the unredeemed. There's a separation that takes place here. There's, there's Isaac, and then there's everything else. The, the redeemed are separated from the unredeemed. And, and you see this symbolism going on here in Genesis. Now, when you look at the age of Abraham, this good old age, full of age and still full of life. Now, remember, after he arrived in Canaan, he has now lived 100 additional years. So what does it mean when Moses says Abraham breathes his, his last and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years? I'll tell you this, it needs to be our goal. Because I got to tell you something, what, 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 what we're hearing of Abraham and the way that he lived his life, that even though he was quite old at 175 years old, he was never a burden to anybody. You talk about grace. He was never a burden to anybody. He was still full of life. He was still able to take care of himself. He, he fathered children all the way to the end. Okay, He died in a good old age, meaning age was not burdensome for him or for anybody else who had to take care of him. He was full of life even when his life came to an end. Matthew Henry, in my opinion, has the best quote on this of all of my read. And it is a great one. If you ever get a chance to read the commentary of Matthew Henry, you will not regret it. I love this. He said, this is how Scripture, if you look back to the original Hebrew words being used here, this is good, and may this be us. Are you all ready? Abraham did not live till the world was weary of him, but he did live till he was weary of the world. Isn't that great? Abraham didn't live to the point that people start hoping you'll die. He was not a burden to anybody. The world was not weary of Abraham. Abraham was just weary of the world. It's time to go. He was done. He was ready now. Uh, I love it. He said he was was weary of the world. He'd had enough of it. He wasn't trying to make heaven on earth like I see so many people doing, clinging to to this place as if somehow this is better than where we're going. You know, this is that garbage. I can't stand when men do this, that, that you start taking things and, you know, you think you're going to be watching your favorite college football team in heaven or it won't be any good for you. You think you're going to be fishing in heaven or it's not going to be any good. I'm going to be killing big bucks in heaven, and, and if not, I guess it won't really be all that great. you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Do you think anything you've enjoyed on this earth really? I mean, think about something, and I, I can't remember who said this the first time I heard it. Was it John MacArthur? I can't remember who said it. But uh, the, the point they made was, let's take something like chocolate, if you like chocolate. I've met some weird people that don't, but, but, the, um, but most people I know at least somewhat like chocolate. He said, or whoever said it said, I'm not sure who it was, you are eating fallen chocolate with fallen taste buds. You don't even know what chocolate tastes like. So all these things you think are so great, this is his throwaway. Okay, there's glimpses of how it was supposed to be, but just like uh, I had a, a great vacation, but you know what happened on like I went down to, to fish one day at the farm. I love the farm. It's beautiful. I love to fish. I went down there. Algae was everywhere. 
mosquitoes like to eat me up. Okay, and 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 uh, and and I was trying to step through weeds and briars, you know, and I thought to myself, well, this is annoying. Even even when I try to create heaven on earth, God always says, "This isn't heaven. This isn't heaven." You know, you know what else it was? Hot, miserably hot. And uh, and and so the, the, this is the thing that you have to understand. Abraham understood that he lived a good life, but it wasn't nothing compared to where he was going, and he was done with it. He wasn't clinging to it like an idol, and uh, he was satisfied with living here, but he desired for a better place. And what a blessing that was that God allowed him to live that kind of life. With all the mistakes he made, God again was um, quite gracious because his faith, God deemed him righteous. How about this? You know what kind of threw me a little bit? Is there doesn't seem to be a lot of pomp or ceremony about Abraham's death. I would I would have thought there would have been some big celebration or something, but there's no indication there really was. I mean, a man this prominent was really looked like he and his two sons got together and buried him. His two oldest sons. So uh so uh not a lot going on here. Uh it it might have been um something that as you see, it looks like that maybe, and then we've seen this happen before. Look and see if you agree with um Scripture seems to be pointing in verse 9 that Isaac and Ishmael uh, maybe had reconciled because of their father's death. Because look at 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave. And this is the one, of course, remember the, we talked about him going and buying this land? So it, it's there. It, it's it's the field of Ephron uh, and uh, where he bought that from Zohar, the Hittite, uh, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah. Remember, he said that's why he was buying it, so he could bury his family. Uh, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And, of course, it tells you where they now go to settle. So so what's about to happen next? Uh, Because it appears uh, that there's been reconciliation between the two older brothers, uh, the one of the promise and the one of uh, Abraham and Sarah trying to do their own plan. Abraham, of course, is buried next to Sarah. But but these next verses, 11 through 18, um, why are they, they, I mean, 12 through 18, why are they important? Because we mentioned Isaac, and we think we're going to jump into Isaac, but then Moses goes through Ishmael and tells us the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son with Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. That's verse 12. Then 13, these are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. And then it goes through all the different names and all the different sons. Um, and then look at verse 16. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. He was 137 when he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled uh, uh, there at uh, Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kingsmen. Now, why is this important? Well, it, it's important because do, do we remember when when the, the angel of the Lord heard Hagar crying? And do you remember what the angel of the Lord told Hagar? And you know what Abraham had been promised? I'm going to take care of Ishmael. Now, look, it's, it's, it's going to be problematic. Uh, the descendants uh, of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, there's going to be trouble down the road. But I'm going to take care of Ishmael, and he will be blessed. And so his offspring became a great continent uh, between Egypt and Assyria. Of course, what is that? That's Arabia. Okay, so that's where his offspring, 12 sons, notice they're called, said 12 of them were princes. They, they, were, they were very wealthy. Uh, they they flourished during this time of peace in the world. We're told Ishmael lived 137 years. Uh, it does not note that when he died that he was full of days in a good old age like Abraham. We don't see that uh, in Ishmael. It, it and, and that seems to indicate that he maybe was still in love with the world when he died, unlike Abraham. Uh, and it does say that he was gathered to his people. 
Now, why, why is that important? Because the angel of the Lord promised Hagar that when he died, that he would die being surrounded by friends, that he would, he would be taken care of, and he was. So that's in there because it's just another example of Moses saying, I want you to see that God keeps his promises. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. And that was confirmed. So now we move into a very familiar part of Genesis 25, and this is the birth of Esau and Jacob. So um, um, first of all, we know that that Isaac uh, does not get married until um, – until really he he's 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 older. I mean, he doesn't even get married till he's forty. Uh, he doesn't get children until he is sixty. Uh, so so look look what happens next in in uh, verses nineteen through twenty one. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, uh, the Amarian, and, uh, and 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 then the sister of Laban. The, the army in, into his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Does this sound familiar? And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So, so what's going on here? So like his father, uh, he was a man of prayer. And like his father, he interceded for his wife. Uh, Isaac is concerned about his wife. And, and he's also praying again, just like Abraham, when Abraham was told he would father a son, and that Sarah, even though she was barren, that she would produce a son. And we see Isaac in a, in a very similar situation, but he's learned from his father to pray and be reminded that there's a fulfillment of God's plan, and that must be done through me, and it must be done through me and Rebecca. So there's children coming. Uh, it, it's taking a while. I mean, they've had to sit and wait for 20 years uh, for this to take place, but he continues to pray, and he prays knowing that God will fulfill his promise, but that God also has gone on record that his time and our time aren't the same thing. So apparently Abraham had done a good job telling Isaac what had taken place and had prepared his son when faced with a similar situation, how you go about it. I guess the question to all the dads watching and listening or in the room, have we done the same thing? Have, have, we, have we done the job of saying, look, I went through something, son, daughter. I've been through something, and when you get in these situations, let me tell you who God is and what you ought to do. Are your children ready to face the same things that you face? Are my children ready to face the same things I faced? Because I've already taught them through my experiences with God what you're supposed to do. I mean, we're, we're, the thing that I always find that, that, that is kind of tragic is if I go through something and it was difficult and I didn't learn anything, nor did anybody else. You know, what, whatever we've been through needs to be used to benefit us going forward, but benefit other people. You know, I mean, is there anything, is there anything that feels better for someone to sit down with you and say, I'm here to talk to you about your situation and you're like, well, you don't know what I've been through. They go, no, I actually do. And it doesn't mean that you have to go through something to help somebody. But I'm going to tell you something. If somebody's been through it, it sure does help. You know, you can still have wisdom even if you've never been through it, if the wisdom comes from God. But there's just something about somebody when they say, I've been here. And here's what we did. Or here's what I did. Here's what I clung to. Right? And apparently, this has uh, been the case here. Uh, and Rebecca, as we know, in God's time, conceived. Did, did Rebecca con- conceive late? Was was God behind schedule? Did God forget about it? No, she conceived when God said she was going to conceive, right? And you, may, we may think it, it feels like He's delayed, but it's not delayed to Him. It may not be our timeline, but can I go ahead and let you know something? And I'm saying it to me. I'm saying it to you, and I'm saying it to you, and I'm saying it to those of you that are listening. Your timeline is wrong. God's timeline is right. Okay? So, so keep that in mind. And, and cling to that. Don't just say that. Believe that. Cling to that. So verse, verse 22. The children struggled together within her, 
And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Underline that. Okay? Did, does, do you see Rebecca saying, the children are struggling within me, I don't know what's going on, and I have no idea what to do? I'm, I'm going I'm to go talk to a counselor. I'm I'm going I'm going I'm going to get I'm going to see if I can't go sit down with my girlfriends and talk about this. Nothing wrong with those things, but uh, who does she know where the answer is? She inquired the Lord. Now, see, this is this is a godly woman that knows where the answers are. Okay, that's credit to her father. That's credit to her brother. That's credit to her husband. And it's just credit to her uh, because she says there's trouble in my womb. And I want to know what's going on. The movements of the babies felt abnormal. But Rebecca knew how to pray, and she sought the Lord. I just don't know what to do in these situations. Well, then look at Genesis 25, verse 22. There's what you do. You inquire of the Lord. He's not afraid. Look, I promise you. The great I am is not intimidated by, by the things we want to know. He's not going, boy, I hope they don't ask me about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and again, his answer may be immediate. His answer may be already in Scripture. His answer may be delayed. But notice the pivot that we've been trying to talk about in this Bible study for eight years. When difficulty comes, we don't freak out. We don't fret. We don't worry. We don't get anxious. Doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter. But our proper answer is, Lord, what are you doing? What are you teaching me? Tell me why this is going on. And he may say, just trust me. Or he may tell you. Or you may already know because he's already said it in in Scripture. That's the beauty, again, of us being on the other side of the resurrection. We have the full Scriptures. We have them. So anyway, the Lord says to her, he does answer, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay. Uh, So when she's told the two will struggle with each other all their lives, each will produce a nation. Esau, of course, will, will get Edom from him. Jacob, Israel from him. Um, and, and just as God had chosen Isaac over Ishmael, God's now going to choose Jacob over Esau. Now remember, this was you got to watch it with God. He's got his own thing. He really couldn't care less how we see things because we're flawed. This was not tradition. What God's saying he's going to do, the tradition said, no, that's not what we do. Whichever one's born first, if you have twins... That's the eldest, and that's how it goes. And, you know, God said, I don't do tradition. I pick, I'm picking the younger one. Even though the older one's going to be bigger and stronger, I'm picking the younger one. That, that's who that I know what's best, and that's how that's going to go. Now, be careful. Be careful here. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's jump over to Romans chapter 9. Yes, the very controversial Romans chapter 9. How about I had never... I never really thought of this before. I remember when we taught Romans here, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. I remember I got all fired up about Romans because it's such a loved book and it's such an incredible, it's Paul's, many say, it's, this is Paul's gospel. And uh, if I had one book of the Bible, and I'd, all, I'd take Romans, you know, and it is a mighty, 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 mighty book. But I remember when, uh, when I decided we were going to go through it word for word, and my pastor at the time, now retired, Danny Wood, was in this Wednesday Bible study. And um, he was going out, and he said, oh, you're going to teach Romans. And I said, absolutely. I'm so fired up, I, can, I can't stand it. He goes, I'm looking forward to Romans chapter 9. I was like, what? He goes, can't wait to hear you unpack that. <laughs> and I was like, Romans chapter 9? And I was trying to remember what it was. And I went home, I went, oh, my goodness, uh, this is going to be fun. Uh, I'll have a blast with the, my Armenians and my Calvinists in here. This will be, this will be a run. But let's look at uh, verses 10 through 12, because we do need to say what it's saying, but I think we also, and if you remember, we did not shy away from Romans 9. Now, it, it had me on my face quite a bit. 
uh, and, and seeking all sorts of wisdom from all sorts of people. Uh, but we didn't shy away from it. So if you've, if you've never heard our teaching in here on Romans chapter 9, I remember being very, very nervous when another man I have great respect for, uh, I got an email uh, from Scott Dawson. He said, Ted Trailer in Pensacola wants you to send him your Romans chapter 9. Great pastor. And I'm like, what? And I was like, Did, what does he? And you know, then you just don't want to do it. I mean, you're, you're just like, I don't think I'm going to send it. And uh, so then Ted Trailer reached out and I sent it to him. And then he sent back, you know, great job. And that he, and that, that felt good. But because we don't shy away from it. I mean, we don't pretend that the Bible says something it's not saying, but we don't ignore what it actually is saying. So uh, here is uh, where, where this is talked about by Paul in, in Romans chapter, chapter 9. And he says in um, uh, verse 10, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, so there again, though they were not yet born and had nothing, had never had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might, might continue, I'd under, underline that, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So, you know, what, what that's not saying is that Esau was predestined to hell. It's not saying that. What it's saying is when it comes to the nations and it comes to the plan that I'm working, uh, I choose Jacob I, and I, I don't choose Esau, and I chose them before they were ever born that way because I know what Esau's going to do, and he can't be trusted with this. Now, there's nothing in there that says that God predestined Esau to hell. Now, what it does say is that God has predestined the lineage will go through uh, Isaac, through Jacob, and not through Esau. He has done that. And so, uh, so, so that's what we're seeing here. And you'll see pretty quick, even before we leave today's lesson, Esau can't be trusted with it. And God knows that. The thing I think about, can God trust me? Um. Am I the kind of man that can be trusted uh, to fulfill God's plan? Um, and, uh, and, and I certainly am praying for God to enable me to be the man that I can't be. So, uh, so let's talk about uh, the fact that God makes this choice, and we know what God doesn't make mistakes. So he's making the right choice, and that shows itself pretty quick. Uh, it says uh, in 24, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, the first came out red and all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau, which means hairy. Uh, afterward, his brother came out with, uh, with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Um, and then it says in 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents, and here comes the problem in 28. This is, this is not going to help. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You don't want that in your household. Uh, this is going to cause a lot of trouble, uh, as, as we know. Uh, so let's look at, um, at what, what's going on here. Um, Esau was a robust man, avid outdoorsman. The name does mean hairy. Uh, also, his he he'll, he'll take the name Edom uh, coming up in the future, which will be his nation, and that means red because of the red color of his of his beard and his skin. Um, and uh, he the two of them looked very different, even though they were twins. Uh, and um, uh, Jacob was was smaller and also appeared to work more at home. Um, this Jacob is going to be God's choice. Uh, the, the name Jacob means he takes by the heel. Unfortunately, it also means he deceives. Uh, he will trip up his brother, uh, and we will see that pretty quick. Uh, but what do we also see here that, that is not good? Uh, we see a divided home. If you want to take your house and turn it into chaos, if you have multiple children, you pick favorites. Uh, that, that, that will turn that place upside down real quick. Uh, and the one who are ones who think they're favorites will manipulate you, uh, and the ones who don't think they're your favorite will resent you. And that's exactly what we're going to see taking place here. Um, 
we, we don't play favorites. It, it may be that there's certain things about, I know in my own children, there, there may be of my five children, there are things with my children that some of them that I relate to more than the others. We have similar interests where some of my others we don't have, you know, they have interest in things I'm not interested in. But I don't love some more than I love others. I, I have times where I approve of some more than I approve of others. But the, but I don't pick favorites. They they all have access to my love, uh, and they all are required the very same thing to have my approval. Uh, and uh, but what we don't do here is we don't pick favorites. Uh, and uh, Esau was was the favorite of Dad. Why? He's a man's man. If you'll notice, uh, and 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 this is something that we do that, that we're meticulous about. One of the mistakes that men's ministry has made uh, for as long as there's been men's ministry, and I was making the same mistake even without knowing it and was corrected and, and listened, um, and um, is that we have portrayed almost an image of what the world says a man is, and we've adopted that for a man of God as well. And it's just not true. Um, I, I, we do not use images at themanchurch.com of men hunting, Fishing, sports, uh, climbing mountains, uh, lifting weights. Um, you know, you wouldn't think it would be on a ministry page, but I think some men think if a guy's a tough guy, won a few bar fights, you know, that kind of thing. Probably not something to be proud of, but, you know, he can defend himself. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Uh, none of those images you'll find anywhere around themanchurch.com. And and they, they'll be eradicated from anything that we try to be – associated with if we have the say. And the reason why is that has nothing to do with being a man. I know a lot of men who were phenomenal at athletics, who catch big fish and kill big deer, and they ain't worth two cents. When it comes to the kingdom of God, they're they're worthless. They're 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 flesh, uh they're they're arrogant, uh they they're not followers of Jesus. They know nothing about the word of God. They're terrible husbands, and they're and they're mediocre fathers, uh, and and just because they're good at certain things that men are impressed with does not mean they're a man. Uh, they may be a male, but they're not a man. And so, what we've tried to portray, which is correct, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a man, and if you're not, you probably aren't, because because you haven't been redeemed. The 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 maleness in you has not been reconciled under the authority of Christ and made right. And, and, and when you look at these people that are devout followers of Jesus, really it's I don't know what it is why men are not impressed with them. I, I, that's always I, – I, I mean, I see it now because I've been redeemed. These are my heroes, devout followers of Jesus. But there's a lot of men that have no interest in reading what these men wrote but they'll go out and gobble up the next thing that some outdoorsman puts out or some coach or some athlete, and they'll run over there and they'll just consume that. Now, they got no time for the Bible, uh, but, but if these people put a book out, buddy, they can't. They, these people don't like to read, magically love to read these things or spend time watching documentaries on great athletes and, and great outdoorsmen and all this kind of stuff. Now, you want to sit down and talk about the Apostle Paul, Peter, John. Eh, they don't really have any interest in that. Let me tell you something. The heroes of, 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 of all the men should be the followers of Jesus because they're real men. Why? Because of Jesus. And what did Jesus say to them? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. Hey, if you want to be on the wide and easy road for all you people that just thrilled us all with your latest mountain run, you know what Jesus said? That's hilarious. If you want, if you want difficult Decide to be a devout follower of mine. You can run up a hill, congratulations, but you don't follow me. You, you, you scored some touchdowns, who cares? If it doesn't point anybody to Jesus, it's meaningless. You, you hunt and you can track a deer, you can gut a deer, you kill big deer. Who cares if it doesn't point anybody to Jesus? I'll make you fishers of men. I'm not impressed with fishers of fish. I can train anybody to do that if you'll just give me time. What about getting on the narrow and the hard road 
to follow me. He says hard. He said the road's wide and easy that's going to hell, and most people are on that road. He said, but if you decide to follow me, it'll be narrow and it'll be hard, and only a few are willing to do it. You've heard me say this before. The Marines have it wrong. The few, the proud, the Marines. Jesus said, no, the right thing is the few, the humble, my disciples. But see, we don't, we tend to think like like Jacob did. He said, but look at Esau. He's big, bad, and can hunt. Jacob, I can't get him out from under his mama's skirt. He's working over the tent. He's, he can cook. Of course, that's going to be big here in a minute, though, the fact that he can cook. <laughs> it's going to be big, isn't it? So, uh, so anyway, um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's jump into that in verses 29 through 34, okay? Once when Jacob was, what, cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the, that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name shall be called Edom, which means red. Uh, that was a lentil soup, I bet. You ever had lentil soup? It's really good. Uh, but anyway, not sure I'd give up my birthright for it, but it's good. Uh, so Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die of what, what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, so what's going on here? So remember, Esau's walking uphill because God's already figured out what kind of person he is. Uh, and, and God was going to, uh, to give the blessing to Jacob. Now, that's the part where Jacob messes up. God was already going to give it to him. He didn't have to deceive somebody to do this. Uh, and, uh, but he and his mother had decided to work their own deal, which we'll see later. Uh, Esau had the birthright by providence, but Jacob had it by promise. Maybe the way tradition works, Esau's sitting pretty good when it comes to the providence of tradition, but he's not going to get it because he didn't have the promise. Jacob had the promise. So Jacob pulls a plan at a perfect time, likely. Nobody believes this is the first time that Jacob and Esau had talked about this birthright. So the, 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 this, there already had some conversations going on about it. There's no way that Jacob just brings this up out of thin air. He's looking for an opportunity. So this debate about the birthright had been going on. Many think Jacob has been asking for it. Uh, and Esau, of course, won't give it to him. But now Jacob finds an opportunity. Uh, and, and if you have your Bible real quick, uh, I know we're getting I – mean, I'm going to get this in. We'll, we'll make it today. Let's go over to verse 12 in Hebrews verse 12, um, and then we're going to look at verse um, uh, chapter 12, verse 16. I'm sorry, I think it's 18. Um, I can't read my own writing here. Yeah, so, so let, let's look at this. It says, uh, look, look at verses uh, 17 first. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, uh, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac... Uh, shall your offspring be named. Now look, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now look at 20. By faith, Isaac evoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob went die and blessed each of his sons, and it goes on like that. So Esau is, 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 is running uphill because he's trying to control something that only God can control. And what was Esau's weakness? He was a man of flesh. He was run by his stomach. Now, this is something that is rarely ever talked about in church. I didn't want to hear about it because I've struggled with my weight, and I've, y'all heard me go through that, is when the Bible clearly tells us that, uh, that our stomach should not be our God, that we should eat to live, we shouldn't live to eat. Uh, and I've struggled with that sin. And uh, and the only time that I saw any victory with it is when I actually declared that it was sin 
and took it serious. Um, and, uh, and it's an ongoing struggle. But I can tell you, even though I'm continuing to work on my weight, that I do not uh, – I have stopped overeating, and I have addressed the gluttony that was in my life. And I will admit that d- during the time that I was being run by it and I was in sin, I would be so hungry that I'd be thinking, hey, I'm going to die if I don't eat here in a minute. And what I need to eat, and I need to eat, and I'll, whatever i got to do to eat. Why can't we get some food on the table? I'm starving. And so Esau was a man that was run by his stomach. His appetite ruled him, uh, and he got set up to make a deal. Uh, and how about this? And, and it, was a, it was a really big deal. And, uh, and so um, Jacob uh, is the one now who has the food. And many of the commentators believe the reason why Esau came in here desperate now is he went out with all of his skill of hunting, and he didn't have a day of very good hunting. He thought he'd provide his own meal like he normally did, and he comes in right now, and he's at the mercy of who? Jacob. I may not know how to hunt, but I know how to cook, and I got food. Well, I went out here with all my expertise hunting today. I don't have anything to eat, and I'm about to die. i got to have some food, and I want you to give me the food you have. So Jacob says, well, let's, uh, I'm willing to do that, but we're going to have to cut a deal. So Esau is about to give up a birthright over food, which means he couldn't be trusted. How are you going to put a person that is going to take us to Messiah that somebody can get him to turn against God for food? And there's a lot of men that are not fit to, to serve in ministry. You know why? Because food runs us. You can't be trusted. You don't have any self-control. And Esau clearly didn't have it. I didn't have it. Uh, and I'm embarrassed to say that, but it was true. And when I finally acknowledge it as sin, then, then things begin to change. So Esau also does what I remember doing. He exaggerates. What good's a birthright to me? If I don't eat, I'm going to die. Does anybody think that Esau's about to die? He's just hungry. He's, he's uncomfortable. He's starving. He just wants to eat. And um, you'll find later that he might have learned that from his daddy when we get down to the ultimate deception, which happens, which happens uh, later. So... Um, so he tra- he treats the birthright with no regard, proving he's not worthy of it. And look at this, how it ends here. This, this is something I had not picked up until I was preparing this for all of us today. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and, and drank, and he rose up and went on his way. He didn't even repent. He didn't even stop after he's eaten and had something to drink and go, what am I doing? Hey, hey, look, you know I'm just kidding about the birthright thing. I'm not giving up my birthright because I was hungry. I was just aggravated. Or my, As my wife says, one thing you don't want Rick to be is hangry. Don't let him be hot, tired, and hungry. You know what I mean? That used to be my reputation. Oh, he's hangry. You can't do nothing with him. But Esau doesn't even come to his senses. He didn't. You know what he says? Got what I wanted, I'm out. Keep the birthright. That's why Moses says Esau despised his birthright. He deemed it of no value. He didn't realize what a gift from God that really was, and he treated it foolishly, and he treated it with disregard. There's no wake-up call. Have you ever had somebody or maybe gone through a period of your life where everybody says, no, this will be his wake-up call? And it wasn't. I've looked back through my life many times and said, that should have been my wake-up call. And I just rose up and went on my way. And I could have avoided a lot of problems if I'd have, if God had said, man, I just keep being gracious with you. I keep trying to give you that wake-up call. I couldn't be yelling any louder. I'm so thankful that he continued to be gracious to me. I don't know how many times he was going to do it, but he finally got my attention. Thank you, Lord. So he he doesn't even try to revoke the deal. He's good with it. And I started thinking, what's what's the Lord, what is the takeaway from this? And it hit me. Romans chapter six. How poorly we treat redemption. Our birthright to be born again. We treat it with so much disregard. Sin's no big deal. 
God has to forgive me. I know I committed this sin. You just don't understand how my flesh was, and um, it was just too much for me to handle. I was starving, or I, I had some reason to be lustful. I cheated somebody out on a deal. I didn't quite tell the truth about that, but I was in duress. thought I was going to die if I didn't get this handled. But it ain't no big deal. I'm forgiven. And Paul is screaming at us in Romans chapter 6, certainly not. What are you trying to do? Prove how wonderful God's grace is by how sinful you can be? And really, uh, I learned this from uh, my pastor, Mac Brunson. He said the, the Greek word there that we put in English, certainly not, is, is really a word that when you look at the Greek, we, it, it, it's the best translation we got, but Paul's almost, I'm not going to say cussed because you don't want to, that would be, it's not profane, but he's saying something that you would say to somebody if you wanted to get their attention. He's, being, he's very upset at the thought of that. And he's, he's come back, he says, you've been freed from sin. You haven't been freed to sin. Certainly you're, you're, you're saved by grace. Certainly you're saved through faith. But now the, the, the change takes place. You don't treat that with such disregard. I remember Roy Hessian in, in the Calvary Road. Man, man, if you've never read that, you got to read that. We did that. Was that maybe the first Bible study we did? Was Calvary Road the very first one we did? There's no archive of it, I don't think, but was it, it was one of the first ones, wasn't it? And uh, it's this beautiful book that Roy Hessians wrote in the 50s, The Calvary Road. And at one point he's saying, when you get in these situations where sin seems like it's no big deal, look to the cross. And he, he does this analogy of, of drooping down, and, and as, as, you're, as you're moving into this moment of sin, you look up, and, and, the, and the blood of Christ and his suffering is dropping down on you, and you look back at the cross, and then you look at what you're about to do, and you're like, what am I doing? Sin always matters. How many more times have we got to say that? I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about sanctification. Um, and, and, and that, that was the conviction I took away as I was like, Esau, man, he's treating his birthright because he wants some stew. And I think, Rick, how many times through some stupid sin did you show such disregard for your birthright that Jesus paid for? And you got up and went on your way as if it was no big deal. Let's not be like Esau. Just because the world deems us to be a man, and, our, and we may be our daddy's favorite, if your heavenly father has not redeemed you, then you're looking at the wrong confirmation of being a man. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the message that uh, you uh, presented to us today. A difficult message, uh, but an important message. I'm thinking just running through it all, the things that I need to learn from today. May you make sure I learn them. Thank you for being such a great teacher. Lord, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you have shown us. May we never abuse it and show disregard for the birthright that only you could provide for us to be born again and to be co-heirs with your son Jesus, to be adopted into your family through the reconciliation provided only by your son. If someone's out there today, Lord, in this room or, or out there, and they don't know you, they have not been redeemed, I pray right now, Lord, they just say, I repent of my sins. I want to be born again. I, I want to be a co-heir with your son, Jesus. Lord, I want to be adopted as a, ch a child of you, the one and only living God, and I repent of my sin. And I do take it serious, and I ask you to forgive me for it. And I leave faith in myself, and I place my faith in you, Lord, that you would deem me righteous through the blood that was shed by your Son. The name above all names, and the only name by which we can be redeemed. Redeem me, Lord. Forgive me. The, 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 the Scriptures tell us that if you're sincere, then the Lord will forgive you. 
If you need help, reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com. I'll be, be more than happy to help with you and pray, pray, you, uh, pray with you and help you if you need it. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Good to be back.